Hello, readers. Coming up, it's my chat with Greg Ruth and Ethan Hawk on Meadowlark. First, I wanted to encourage you to check out booksonpod.com. While there, you can sort through past shows by episode number, book title, author's last name, or sort by category. For instance, select the food and beverage, history, philosophy, or psychology category for episode number 140 with Edward Slingerland on Drunk. This is Edward Slingerland, author of Drunk, How We Sip, Dance, and Stumbled Our Way to Civilization. And you're listening to Books on Pod with Trey Elling. Hello, readers. Greg Ruth is a New York Times bestselling author and illustrator. Ethan Hawke is an actor, screenwriter, director, four-time Oscar nominee, and bestselling author. Together, they created the number one New York Times bestselling graphic novel, In Day, in 2016. And they've just published their second graphic novel, titled Meadowlark, a coming-of-age crime story. Greg, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to talk to you. You as well. And uh, Ethan, uh, pleasure talking to you. How are you doing today? Yeah, very well. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. I, you know, I think we were supposed to do this on Monday and I lost service. I had no power outage, so I appreciate you taking the time to reschedule. Oh, happy to do so. Yeah. I, I'm assuming because I see a fan on in the background that you got power back. Yeah, it's all good. Everything's back up. Cool. Good, good. Well, oh, uh, Ethan, get your collar. <laughs> do this. Pop the collar. Is that a bowling shirt that you're wearing? Yeah. Well done. I just took mine I took mine off. I'm so grateful that I did. We we did twinsies one day. We were book tour. I think we were pitching in day. That was dangerous. Yeah, we were we were going to publishers and we accidentally, no shit, wore the exact same shirt. <laughs> and it, yeah, like and it was vintage with the red flowers. Yeah, it wasn't like a white t-shirt. I mean, it was like a very <laughs> specific shirt. And it wasn't shtick either. You guys just accidentally wore the same thing. Totally. No, it was Bob, it was Bobsy twins all the way. It's always dangerous. Well, I guess that adds to the authenticity of you guys being like-minded enough to work well together, right? I guess so. I guess we, we took it as a sign for sure. Hi, yeah. Greg. Hey, Ethan. How are you, pal? I'm doing all right. How are you doing out there? You you recovering from the lag and being back in the States? It's so hard. Slowly. It's so weird to go from this world where you're all alone and living in an apartment in Budapest to having like four kids who like want to talk to you. And it's, it's just, it, it's right. very strange. I've got a seven and five year old. It's such a nuisance. It's like, guys, I just got done with a long day. How dare you bring all this joy and inquisitiveness into my life? Yeah, I know. I know. And like Ethan keeps saying, they don't give a flying fuck about what we do or how tired we are. There's gum that needs sorting right now. Goddamn. Yeah. There's strawberries that need the tops cut off and washed. Damn it. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, guys, I really enjoyed this graphic novel, reading it over the last week or so. And uh, for those who are unfamiliar, Greg, what exactly is Meadowlark? Uh, Meadowlark is kind of a, it's a graphic novel that Ethan and I kind of came up with on the heels and during the Enday book tour, our first graphic novel together. It basically is a father-son kind of story. It all takes place in a 24-hour period and wrapped around it is this kind of crime uh, event that his the boy's father's involved in and a, a, a quick normal day of dysfunction and 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 backbiting between father and son quickly turns into a, a really dangerous uh, situation that just unfolds in worsening and worsening ways uh, becomes a lens for their relationship and a place for him to grow and kind of become a man 
And Ethan, yeah. how was this idea born? Well, you know, when Greg and I first were working on Inde, which is the story of the Apache Wars, it's deeply immersed in study. You know, it's historical fiction. Um, there's a responsibility that comes along with that. It's grand storytelling. Uh, and I think we both longed to do something more personal. I mean, we, we love the experience of Inde, but we we're like, well, yeah. it would be fun to do something and use this medium to do something that was personal to us. And we were both experiencing fatherhood with a 16 year old, two young men who were coming out of adolescence. And there's this moment that happens with your son when they are achieving, you know, what people call manhood or whatever that is. And they, they look at their father and they, when they were boys, they looked at you with reverence and like you were, you know, Muhammad Ali or something. And now all of a sudden they look at you like a little dipshit little disappointment <laughs> that we truly are. And they, they see you with the grown-ups' eyes. They're as tall as you are. And and it Greg and I were talking about this moment of being recognized by your son and feeling so small. And it also felt Greek. It felt ancient, like you're a part of some ancient thing that happens between fathers and sons. And we're like, it would be really fun to write about it. We both grew up in Texas. We both have a longing, you know, we both love Jim Thompson and these old fashioned, like, could we use a crime novel to expose this kind of Greek myth of how a, fa how a son can absorb the father's disappointments and surpass him and become his own person, which is really what fatherhood is about, is trying to create a space for your son to, to take off, you know? And so we wanted to do that with metaphor and through the crime novel. And, and we set about to do it. And I certainly don't want to spoil the storyline here, but as both of you guys have alluded to, the kid who was with his, his dad for the day going to work with the dad not only experiences a crazy scenario at his dad's work, which is a prison, but then has the human side of his dad exposed to him throughout the course of the day. Have each of you guys had that happen to you with your sons? And if so, was, was there a particular situation that caused that? And Greg, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, yeah, I, I think this kind of thing happens almost daily when you're dealing with a kid that age, when they're on this cusp, there's this really awkward point and new for us. I mean, Ethan had an, you know, an older daughter to go through, but I think that's a little bit different than when you've got a son. This is my oldest and so my first one where I'm not the kid fighting against my father. So for the first time, I'm like trying to use my fatherly tools to control a certain dynamic or a crisis. And it's not working. Uh, it's condescending to him. It's feckless, you know, because we're not, I'm not this domineering mountain of a figure in his life in the same way I was before. So there's a lot of scrambling um, that happens when you're a dad where your, your old tools that you've gotten used to using for a long time and the impulse to raise and protect and control your children in a lot of ways for safety um, isn't appropriate. And you have to come up with new ways to do it. And a lot of that is exposing who you are as a person in a way that's uh, new to both. <laughs> it can be um, confusing and scary. I think it makes it made me feel like, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. A lot of the times you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Things get really wild and crazy at this kind of turning point of of child into into man that was really explosive and it just and we just put it all in there but 
Yeah. yeah there's, this, there's a part of, I don't know, I shouldn't say all of us, maybe a lot of people are more mature than I am, but there's a part of us that <laughs> is still feels 16. So when you see your 16 yeah. year old, he's a junior, senior in high school, and he's having all this fun, there's some part of you that wants them to know that you're cool and that yeah. you, there's some part of you that wants to be their friend, but they don't right. need a friend, they need a father. And it's very right. hard when situations get pitched, whether we're talking about drugs and alcohol, whether we're talking about human sexuality, whether we're talking about um, all the real dirt, messy work of life, they really need a father. And the, yeah. like we, we opened, we opened the, the book with a scenario of the young son rebelling against his stepfather and the father wanting to be like cronies with his son about it. And it's really, yeah. it's not helpful. You, you know, no. it's like, and, and so we want to get into that both, you know, Greg and I both come from our own turbulent childhoods and we've, it's a really fun thing that does happen where you're looking at life still with the lens of a son or a child, but now also as a parent and as a writer, that, right. that double vision is super helpful because we can look at Jack and yeah. Cooper from both angles. Um, yeah. And part of the thing that sucks about being a dad is that you, you don't get to be a kid with them, you don't. They don't need you to be their friend. They have friends. Yeah, they and need they'll you. resent you for it too if you try. Yeah, they'll resent you for it. Yeah. Yeah, you do have to be an asshole at times because if you're not going to, then nobody else is going to call them out on their bullshit, right? It's, and we and all need that. We all do it, and they'll punch. I mean, your job is to be the fence. They punch and kick and fight and try to tear down, and your job is to remain a fence. It sucks. It's not yeah. a fun part of things you know and a lot of it is especially because they don't thank know you for it later yeah sorry right. to cut you off greg it's just like no. sometimes i realize they actually don't know how much you love them yeah they don't yeah. they don't know how boundless the love you feel for them is it's just that love can't can't confuse you into like wanting to drink beer with them or laugh about slashing someone's tires or how cool it is to smoke pot and watch video games. Like they've got plenty of people that want to do that with them. And he, you know, <laughs> right. and it's weird when dad joins in. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Greg, I was reading an interview that you did with Pop Dose where you talked about initially connecting with Ethan and how Y'all really have been like two kids in a sandbox since then. And among the many qualities that you cherish about working with Ethan, you called him a brilliant story guy, but you're no slouch in this area either. So what's the key to telling a good story for you? I, I think one of the big important parts is knowing the difference between what is what is true and what is right. And stories, you know, they benefit from realism. They benefit from experience. It's that Woody Allen thing of, you know, uh, write what you know. But at the same time, stories aren't real. And there, I think what I've learned a lot, especially from Ethan, who's so good at this, is being able to understand uh, how to switch from getting caught up in the facts that you use to support your narrative or to build your character or outline your plot and then throw it all away so that you can then sit down and make a true story that feels right. Because delivering a story that feels true is not just a catalog of facts. And I think Inde for us, and for me especially, really, we had just mountains of the most amazing 
facts. I mean, the stories of just this one tribe of this one small group of Apaches was so voluminous and amazing and, and fascinating. It's hard not to want to include it all. And you can try and create this sandstorm of data that's not a story, um, like a scrapbook, you know, but learning how to put things together, find common threads and themes to, to risk having bad ideas and to have a, a, a brilliant partner that can bounce that off you and say, yeah, that's a stupid idea, but there's something about what you're looking for that's interesting. Let's see if we can find it somewhere else. There, it's a constant kind of game of pick a basketball where you're switching teams. So it's not, you all have the same goal. You all, you both, we both always had the same target to try to aim for. And in some ways it's taught me so much about the value of trust when you're working creatively with somebody and being able to surrender, being able to expose your, your dumb thinking or your conventional ways of doing things and being able to let that grow beyond it through that exposure. It was, it's just, there's nothing like a partnership. I found it so revelation is is so thrilling. I mean, there is a, there's a beauty in being alone in a room with something, but it's yeah. very exciting to have somebody watch your back. And, you know, Greg just said something that's really smart. All of us have certain blind spots to conventional storytelling, like where we fall into traps and we don't even know what we're saying is cliche, you, you, you know, and it's one of a, a great collaborator helps push all your strongest suits to the front and helps defend all your weakest you know this one th this right. greg is one of the best storytellers of i have spent my life doing this and i've been in some rooms because as an actor you get to collaborate all the time you know whether i'm you know whether i'm with alfonso Caron or richard linkletter or you know sally hawkins or i've had some great storytellers in my life people yeah. who are really good at nuance but greg's mind has absorbed so much and in his interest like mine he's really interested in literature really interested in movies really interested in comics really interested in painting every art form and how it communicates and the graphic novel really utilizes them them all and what we found is we just kind of took the architect every story needs a good architecture and then you need to hide the architecture hmm. you know like right. i'll give you an example boyhood's a really interesting movie to have worked on because it has a kind of invisible architecture people like it doesn't have the normal this happened then this happened then that happened and then there was uh, aha moment. But there's this architecture of 12 years of high school. Everybody in America lives the first period of their life in relationship to these first through 12th grade. And it kind of creates that, that yeah. ticking clock that storytellers always say you need, you know, but it's absolutely invisible, but it has a very strong architecture. And Meadowlark, we came up with this architecture of a son becoming his own. We talked about it like a myth, and then we tried to hide it and disguise it with realism, personal relationships, and to try to create, and Greg's really good at this, how can the next action feel inevitable? You, you know, right. it's, it's inevitable because this is the way the character feels, not because the authors came up with some brilliant uh, Greek metaphor. You know, it has to feel like it's a domino <laughs> falling into the next one. 
at the at the yeah. at the same time, there were a couple of pivots that were key turning points in this story as well. Uh, Ethan, was that a, a challenge for you in in doing not just this graphic novel, but obviously the previous one as well, to where you don't have as much time for the buildup? Sometimes you just have to hit that next point that really advances the overall story. Everything to me is a little bit like music. You know, sometimes the drums just got to kick in and sometimes you have to change the rhythm and every art form does have its own language. And what's really mysterious about the graphic novel is what Greg talks about this and what a private experience it is. I've read graphic novels where I'll sit on one page for a long time and study it like a haiku and look at the image for a while. And then I'll flip through 20 pages really fast. Like, I don't know. It just... And by watching the way that Greg paints, I realize that a lot of that is very deliberate on the author. They're, they're building a rhythm for you to get oriented and for you to find your own pace and to fall in sync with the artist. It's really interesting. Yeah, some of my yeah. favorite pages in this book, Greg, had no words, and that's not because I don't love to read. I love to read. It's because it's forcing you to actually come up with the story in your head. Right, right. Yeah, that 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 to me, that's something that I have a particular fondness for is to avoid as much exposition, polemics. You know, you, you don't want to preach a story to someone. You want to tell your story and let them tell it. And graphic novels are unique in that way in that you're kind whatever you do on the page, it's just a bunch of parts that the reader will assemble in their brain and grow from that, you know. And this explains why someone just falls in love with Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen so much that they dress up naked and blue and run around in a convention center. Like it just, <laughs> it, it, it becomes real inside of them. You know, I, I, I love it and admire it. I, I don't understand that level of it, but I understand, you know, it, it's all towards recapturing the thing that got my heart racing when I was reading Dune when I was 12 years old or, or, um, you know, uh, or discovering uh, dark Knight or, um, Adrian Tomine for the first time, and then fi- feeling moved by this inanimate kind of scribbles on a piece of paper that can that can make me hurt when a character gets hurt, or 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 feel relief, or feel tension, or race through a fight scene because I'm desperate to make sure that the guy or the girl that I'm following gets out of it okay, you know. And having that kind of you have to kind of I always overuse this metaphor a lot. It's a little clunky of. Uh, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz and The Wizard. You have to be in the story and, and walk that yellow brick road oblivious to the structure and to the kind of architecture that you're being pushed through. But then you have to pull back and kind of constantly world build. And the more you can slip back and forth between that transition, those two states of being in the story naive to the structural and the kind of godlike powers of creating it, and then pull back and be able to say, regardless of how much I might care for this character, they've got to die here. I need a narrative point that does this. This is when the truck hits them so that this happens later. To coldly be able to do that and then to fall back into the world and withdraw and re-enter, there's definitely a, a lot of kind of omniscient power that you can have to it, but the moment you surrender that kind of connective tissue with the character, that kind of identifier, that kind of willingness to be lost inside of your own story, to hear their voices, telling you what you're going to say. I mean, I don't know how many times, especially when we get to the towards like the halfway point of a book, when the characters really have kind of coalesced, they start telling me like, I, I would never say that, you know, we'll, we'll like write a line. And, and, and Ethan would say like, 
I don't know that Cooper would talk like that, or that doesn't sound like how a 16 boy would think about this particular romantic situation or uh, wouldn't understand the dynamic between his older father and his mom as romantic people, which every 16 year old boy never wants to spend a half second thinking about their parents in any romantic dynamic, you know? Um, so it's, it's a lot of fun. It's scary. It's like being on a roller coaster with one wheel and a bad seatbelt. And it's, it's a blast. See, for me, it's like whenever, you know, you mentioned reading Dune as a kid, we all have these touchstones where for some part of people, it's listening to the Beatles or something. The first time your imagination really takes off and your world becomes bigger than your immediate environment. And I feel right. like our imagination is reality that, you know, there is no action without thought. Everything that you know, everything in this building was in somebody's dream once, you know, a light bulb, right. tables, chairs, everything in yeah. our world was born in the imagination. And when you can contact and that imagination feels vibrant and alive, your world expands and yeah. sometimes drawing does it. And we're all as storytellers, we're hunting to make our imagination feel so tactile and so real to you that we connect. You, you know, right. and, and the first step is for it to be real to us, right? Yeah. And if, then we can cast a spell and hopefully then the book becomes its own entity that's teaching us and we're, we're kind of riding it. And when that yeah. happens, you have something special that happens. And sometimes it happens, Greg will just start, he'd send me a page. He's like, I know I didn't mean to do this drawing, but it just happens. What do you think? And I'm like, wow, the book is, it's, it's on now. Yeah. We're riding it. And that's where I think we're, we get to constantly switch that role. Like, you know, he can be the omniscient overseer and I can be lost in it. Um, I sometimes refer to it like someone being on shore with a fishing pole attached to your buddy out in the water swimming. Like it kind of gives them the freedom to go really far out deep because they know that their partner can bring them back if they get too lost. And then we can switch those roles back and forth. And, and that's the part that's really invaluable because no matter how much you can be astute about your work, you can never see it fully. You're never truly going to be off the planet and looking at the sphere of the place. You'll never, you'll never fully be separated from it. It's why we can't copy edit our own writing and, and get all the typos and glitches we yeah. make or see the mistakes, you know? So having someone and being able to kind of ping pong back and forth those roles, I, I, I can't think of anything that's more valuable. There are some great lines in this book. One of my favorites was from the Smokey character near the beginning. Smokey is Jack's boss at the prison and is talking to Cooper the son and says, we all want more for our children than our own reflections can afford. What does this mean to you, Ethan? Well, I appreciate you pointing that out. That line gets at the heart of what the book is about for us, you know, and one of the interesting things, I mean, Put simply for the listener, people listening to this, you know, this is a story of a son who's really miserable and happy. He's living with his mom. He wants to live with his dad. He's getting a lot of trouble at school and turns out he's suspended and he has to go to work with his dad and his father's a prison guard. But the son really looks up to the father and sees him as the boxer he used to be and the fighter and wants him to be this kind of great and noble man. And that day at the prison, there is a prison break. And the big revelation for the son is to realize that his father was participating in this criminal act. And it's a total shock to the son to realize that his father isn't 
who he thought. And with the line that you're suggesting, I mean, what you're, what you're commenting about, that line to us is we wanted to place in there's this suggestion that the reason why a lot of us do the wrong thing, whether it's lie, cheat, or steal, it's because we think the means justify the ends. We, we trick our brain into thinking that it's okay that I lie about this or I steal yes. this money because what I'm going to do with the money is going to be so good. And the world is so corrupt and the world is so bad to hell with everybody else. And so I'm just, I'll, I'll be like every, everybody else is so horrible. <laughs> and we wanted to make sure that we had a strong character that isn't just like everybody else. You know, we, we base that character in our mind. We, we, Smokey is somebody who's kind of important to us. But we wanted to put something of the themes of the novel in her mouth, which is that yeah. the father is not who he wants to be. Um, right. And that's hard for him, and that's a weight for him. And yeah. to get those themes going in there. How, did I answer that all right, Greg? Perfectly. No, beautifully. I, Smokey... She fulfills a thing for us that we, I think, most regret about what's missing for us from Inde, which was more Lozen, this really ferocious Apache warrior woman. I mean, she was just such a brilliant, interesting kind of anti-hero, killer, spiritual center, magician, healer. She's oh my god. One of the problems with historical fiction is you just you just fail. You know, you, you can't do it justice. Real people are so interesting. And yeah. one of the most interesting things about our stu the study that we did of those wars is like Greg led with it. There's so much interesting. And one of the things that was most valuable is the the role of the female in that community and how powerful yeah. it was. This woman, yeah. a lot of what Geronimo gets credit for, why Geronimo is famous to these raids and things were really led by Lozen or at least might have yeah. been and mm. strong right. case. And we wanted a stronger female character in Inde and we kind of, we just, there was too much. And so we, we imagined we kind of prison garden in Huntsville, Texas and what, yeah, how great yeah. she would be. So we, we tip our hat to Lozen with Smokey. Yeah. She's not a killer. She, she loves, she loves Cooper. She loves Jack. She's known them Cooper's whole life. She she's the one who can see everybody fully in ways that she can't, yeah. and knows that she, her job is not to interfere. She has to watch them grow like parents do. You know, there's a certain point where you you realize you don't have your hand on their steering wheel anymore, and it's so hard to just sit and watch them stumble and smash into the wall and fall down and pick themselves up. And so much of it is about when the impulse to go to them is better served by withdrawing. It feels so antithetical to what you're self-trained to doing as a parent up to that point. And that, I mean, that's the part I'm in right now. You know, Emmett, my boy is now 19, Levon's up there in the same age. And there's yeah. so much about this time that is also about letting, kind of leaving them alone, letting them fly. And it's so hard, it's so scary. <laughs> And so powerless. You feel so feckless and powerless, I think, as a parent. It's, it's, yeah, it's what they need. It's so hard. It's what they need, which is not you. And that's the, that's the crazy part, you know? That's, yeah. yeah. For, for so. somebody who uh, enjoys having a little bit of control over that situation, that's something that terrifies me. I mean, at seven and five, 
I'm still in pretty yeah. good control over my kids, but at some point they've got to make those decisions for themselves. That's why it's important to yeah. inform them about the world, even if it's not something that directly affects your life in that point in time, and certainly not try to demonize things, because those are the things right. that kids are going to run to versus you trying to inform them on things that may not be good for them in the long right. term. Well, Most young think, people think, are so hard on themselves, too. Sorry, Greg, go yeah. on. No, 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 please. I, I think we also make a lot of mistakes and, and certainly we were very acute on making sure Jack made these mistakes a lot, which was you're kind of trying to get your childhood right through your kids' lives, you know, which is it never works. It's, no. it's never a good idea. And you know, so there's so many times where I I remember we were writing Jack just so mad at, <laughs> at Cooper for saying something or or doing something stupid or whatever. And, and so much of that is recognizing that he's really yelling at himself as a child, like, ah, oh, here you are again. You're, you're getting caught, you know, selling weed at school, like a ding dong. That's what I did. Oh my God. You know, there's no improvement. I've got, you've got to be better than me. You've got to be better than this. You've got to carry the burden of my sins and you've got to, you've got to bring them to a place that I couldn't. And that, that was a really big moment towards our end. I think that's part yeah, of and you know, you run into this problem, which is that you can't teach what you don't know. And, mm. and if you have yep. reached an, an impasse in your own development, then yeah. your kid is going to have to do it on their own to pass you, you know? And it's part of one of the weird things I've been realizing at this point in my life is you really just, you have to keep trying to grow because the generation underneath you needs you to you need to learn you pass on all your sins you pass on all this you need to try to pass on some wisdom too you know i mean and so some bit of self-work needs to happen it's part of greg and i laughed ourselves silly one of our favorite scenes in in the novel as is the poor the father is is, is stabbed in the leg and he's bleeding out and he's but he's ne- never taught his son to drive stick <laughs> yeah. and in order to save his son's life he's got to teach him to drive stick <laughs> while he's, while he's bleeding. bleeding out and what why greg and i laugh about this so much is every parent who's teaching their kid to drive feels like they're bleeding out <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. you just feel like oh my god <laughs> uh, yeah yeah you're giving them a gun and they're just pointing it all over the place yeah <laughs> all right last question uh guys and i'm going to take a break from the graphic novel for a sec because ethan i uh, like many i'm a big fan of the before trilogy maybe my favorite trilogy of all time and looking back at the release of each film Sunrise came out in early 95, Sunset premiered in early 90, uh, uh, 2004, and Midnight was early 2013. So based on that math, we should get a before noon in early 2022. Now, I'm guessing that's not happening, but have y'all had uh, intensive discussions? You and Rick and Julie had discussions about making a fourth in this series, and if so, any idea of what that may look like and when it could come out? Well, it, your, your timeline is absolutely correct. And of course, that would put Jesse and Celine in the middle of a pandemic, um, which, I, <laughs> which I do. We, we did get a lot of laughs out of imagining the two of them, you know, hold up in quarantine and like, you know, some European oh, city or something and imagining okay. Celine's nervousness about oh, whether she's sick or not and hypochondria. There would be a tremendous amount of laughter there. I think all of us have had the instinct on that project that there is a certain symmetry and it feels complete. Um, there's something about 
when they meet in before sunrise on the train there you first see a couple in their 40s fighting and we kind of become yeah. that couple at the end of the so i wouldn't be surprised if we revisit those characters but it would be in some it would be on some new timeline hmm. would i i kind of would be interested in finding them a little older and in a more a larger jump but i those things that happened all by themselves and it just needs to happen again naturally you don't you don't want to pour water in your beer you don't want to beg lightning to strike a fourth time uh right, but right. i do think the title would have to be before noon i've always thought that just to make it uh, <laughs> yeah make it square exactly exactly actually i do have one final question lubies finds its way into the plot in metal lark now i haven't eaten at lubies in 25 years but we all have our favorite items for lubies what would be the first thing you guys would order if you were to go through the Luby's cafeteria line. Oh, oh my God. God, it's been, I, when's the last time you went to a Luby's? I, I think I was time. 12. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I remember as a kid, my grandmother loved Luby's and we go to Luby's after church, yeah. you know, and yep. I would Me go too. straight to the Jello. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, the Jello. <laughs> they had they the Jello. They sprinkle a crack in that Jello. Yeah, and so they good. put little marshmallows in it and stuff like that. And I go right up the green top. Or the or the cherry pie. For me, but, it was that fried chicken. It was that fried yeah. chicken, and they did fried okra pretty good, if I remember right. Yeah, so they did. Fried up, and then counterbalance with that weird green Vulcan Jello that they would. Make. I don't know what was <laughs> that. Vulcan blood, Spock blood. I used to think it was frozen Spock blood. That's how I really yeah. got into it, you know. But oh, that's yeah, Luby's. The the baked fish weird. was pretty good too. Oh, right. was it? Yeah. yeah. See, I was I was not a big fish guy at ten. You know, that was not was a no go. It was no flies on for Greg. Well, yeah. next next time you're in Luby's, you'll have to check it out. He is Greg Ruth, a <laughs> New York Times bestselling author and illustrator. Ethan Hawke is an actor, screenwriter, director, four time Oscar nominee, and bestselling author. Together, they have created the number one New York Times bestselling graphic novel in day. That was back in 2016, and they've just published their second graphic novel. Meadowlark, a coming-of-age crime story. Guys, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for this wonderful book. Thank you, man. Sure. Thanks for having us. Great talking to you. Join me next time when I speak with neuroscientist Susan Berry on Coming to Our Senses, a boy who learned to see, a girl who learned to hear, and how we all discover the world. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at gentlemanjesus.com. And thanks to you for hanging out. You can listen, learn, and follow for free at booksonpod.com. For Books on Pod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day. Good day.